with DP, a weekly podcast talking about high school and college sports right here in Central Illinois. I'll discuss what I saw in the past week, what's coming up on Channel 1450, and what we're looking forward to. Episode 28, Season 2, Happy New Year to everyone, and thank you for listening and following along. What a great week it's been. The busiest or second busiest week of the year for us. 46 basketball game highlights, two days of wrestling, and a ton of time inside gyms. Thank you to the hard work from Robert and Leanna. We obviously worked our butts off to bring you the best possible coverage we can. Thank you to the tournaments who welcomed us and provided hospitality and allowed us to bring you the coverage. There's a ton of people and time that it takes, and we realize that all those people don't get the credit they deserve. So if any of you are listening, just know I want to say thank you. Now, let's get to what I saw in the last week. Last Thursday, the Waverly Holiday Tournament Championship. If you weren't there, you can't quite grasp the environment. There were people who paid to watch the game and get into the building who stood in the hallways outside of the gym just to see a sliver of the gym floor during the game. There were people sitting on the steps on all the bleachers. There was nowhere to sit, nowhere to stand, nowhere to move. One of the most unique things about the Waverly Holiday Tournament is the gym floor and how usually kids are allowed to stand near the gym floor opposite the benches and in that area on Thursday night there was a crowd of two to three people deep meaning there was no room outside of the actual gym floor anywhere in that area. The refs did an excellent job. The tournament officials did a great job, and it was a great game. New Berlin jumps out to a 19-2 lead, and then Route comes back to force overtime and ultimately win it. It was an incredible game, and it's the reason I provide so much coverage to a small school tournament every year like that. There's nothing better. It's a great perk of my job to be able to be there and provide the coverage for it. On Friday... I was in normal for the small school and large school boys basketball championship games at the State Farm Classic. Uhi puts up a great fight but falls to tie pants in St. Joe Ogden. In the large school, Sacred Heart Griffin handles business. Never really in doubt, Romeoville was very athletic and could shoot, but this SHG team, as I've said before, it's a special group. This group, they're not going to lose games like that. This game was never really in doubt. Zach Hawkinson with a monster game. Jake Hamilton, 19 points. Javion Bardwell with a couple wow plays. They just went about it like a business trip and handled business, winning the large school title. Jump into this week, out in Chatham on Tuesday night. First up, it was the ladies. SHG rallies to beat Glenwood and stay in the CS8 race while Rochester rolls Springfield to take a commanding lead about halfway through the conference season. On the boys' side, in the nightcap, Glenwood and Josh Jones give the Cyclones a great test, a great game, in fact. The closest game on the scoreboard SHG's had all season long. Keyshawn Singleton stepped up big in the first half, and then Will Hamilton and Jake Hamilton did the scoring in the second half. SHG wins and stays undefeated, setting up the battle of the unbeatens on Friday night. MacArthur would get a home win over Southeast on Tuesday, only by 10. Doesn't matter the score. SHG and MacArthur are still undefeated. Also Tuesday night, Waynesville beats previously undefeated St. Joe Ogden. The Porta girls get a big win to also stay undefeated over a ranked opponent, and then Eisenhower gets their first CS8 win on the boys' side with a road victory over Lamphier at Lobernica Gym. A lot happening and a lot to process on Tuesday. Wednesday, a makeup game. New Berlin goes on the road, gets a big win over Pawnee. They start the game on a dominant 21 nothing run and handle their business. Now, let's get to what's coming up on Channel 1450. Thursday night, some big games. Williamsville at North Mac Boys. Lincoln at Pleasant Plains Girls and Mount Pulaski at Athens Girls. We will have highlights of all three of those. Friday night, the big one in the CSA that everyone has been looking forward to. MacArthur at SHG. The girls are first at 5.30. The doors open at 4.30. I would get there by 5. Make sure you get there early if you want a seat because it will sell out, and SHG has said they will lock the doors when it's sold out and not let anyone else in. Also Friday, Lamphere at U-High Boys and Rochester at Southeast Girls. On Saturday, the Cyclones, SHG with another big game. This one at the Highland Shootout. They play Christian Brothers College, coached by Jason Tatum's dad. The school where most recently Caleb Love attended. If you don't know who Caleb Love is, Google North Carolina Tar Heels and the run that they had last year in the NCAA tournament. You will know who Caleb Love is real quick. A little story time here. My partner in crime when I started at Channel 1450 was Chase Sr. He's now moved on to bigger and better things, working for Chat Sports in Dallas, Texas, but still talks about his time at 1450 when he was able to attend the Highland Shootout and go cover games. He got to cover guys like Jason Tatum when they were playing there. This is a major showcase for SHG on Saturday, and we are happy to bring you highlights on Saturday. Also, Sports Radio 1450 is going down, so Tim will be on the call to do the game on Saturday afternoon. Also on Saturday here, we plan to have highlights of the Lincoln boys at Lamphere. 
Pena at Plains Girls Basketball and Plains at St. Thomas More Boys Basketball at the Taylorville Shootout. A little more on that shortly with this week's guest. Jumping in to next week's calendar and what to watch for. It's already county tourney time. Yes, it comes at you quick. The calendar is going to fly by now starting this week. Next week is county. The week after, SHG Boys Basketball goes to Florida and it's Girls County Week. The week after that is City Tournament Week. And then the week after that, it's Wrestling Regionals, which goes right into State Wrestling and Basketball Regionals. Yeah, it's the winter season. It flies. Anyway, let's get to Monday's schedule. January 9th, outside of County, it's Williamsville at Plains Girls Basketball in Sagamo action. Porta is also at Morrell Forsyth in Sagamo Girls action. In the Boys County Tournament action on Monday at Lincolnland, here's the schedule. Lutheran plays Riverton at 5 p.m., followed by Williamsville against Athens, and the nightcap is Tri-City Sagamon Valley against Pawnee. That's Monday. On Tuesday, in Central State 8 action, U-High is at SHG Boys, Lamphere at MacArthur Boys, and then in County action, Day 2 at Lincolnland, New Berlin versus the winner of Lutheran and Riverton at 5. Auburn and Calvary, the rematch, 6.30. And then the nightcap on Tuesday at County is Pleasant Plains against the winner of Tri-City, Sagamon Valley, and Pawnee. Next week on Wednesday... Another three games at the county tournament. The first semifinal is Wednesday night at 6.30. That will likely be the top seed New Berlin if they can beat the winner of Lujai and Riverton against the winner of the big matchup between Auburn and Calvary. That's Wednesday at county at 6.30. We will catch you up on all the tournament action and so much more next week on the podcast. That's what's coming up on Channel 1450. Now, it's time for this week's special guest, Taylorville Athletic Director, and a guy who I'd like to call a very good friend, Jason Hadley. I'd like to welcome in Jason Hadley in the podcast this week. Um, I've known you for a little over 10 years now, I think. Um, Breeze Courier days. I started working at the Breeze, and you were assistant coaching at Edinburgh, right? I was, yeah. So I was, it was kind of weird there for a while because I was assistant, uh, I was the assistant basketball coach at Edinburgh, but then I was also a freshman baseball coach here. Right. Because they didn't have freshmen there, so. Yeah. So we ran into each other quite a bit, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Obviously, when I went to 1450, things I didn't see you nearly as much, but uh, we stayed in contact. We have each other's numbers, Snapchat, all that stuff. So um, I just want to kind of go over your, your journey to becoming an AD because I feel like that's um, – you don't get praised a lot for all the work and effort that you put in. I mean, athletic directors – I mean, it is what it is. You run a lot of things in terms of sports, and um, for us, that's, that's a huge help. So um, at what point in your – you know? coaching teaching career did you decide okay you know athletic director is, is where I want to be and where I want to get to that was actually that was kind of the goal I did an internship with Paul Held here back in when I was 21 years old I was going to grad school and uh that's that, a good guy to do an internship yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it was it was awesome and that was the that was when I realized that this is where I wanted to go eventually um, obviously I knew I needed to teach for a while I was going back and then I went back and got my teaching certification and uh and I knew Paul and the goal was always to be athletic director at Taylorville. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I tried. From here, you uh, from here, yeah, yeah, from here. Lived here my whole life. Graduated from here. Coached here. You know, uh, I had a stint there at Edinburgh. Like I said, that kind of got my foot in the door. Yeah. As for coaching, and I served two years there as AD. And uh, so that this was always the goal, but at the same time, I knew Paul was going to be around until he retired. So right. uh, knew you kind of had to sit back and buy your time and just. The chips fell the right way, and I was able to able to finally step in here. Sometimes that's a good thing. I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers sits for three years, yeah. four years behind the car, yeah. and um, you know, I'd say that's a pretty fair comparison between you and Paul. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing, yeah, the but, thing is too is like going into. I couldn't have imagined doing this job at 25, 26. Right. Um, you know, when I started, I was 34. So even then, I felt like I was the young guy. I mean, I, I'm one of the youngest in the in our Apollo group, and one of the youngest around probably. And so it it would have been very overwhelming had I not been through what I'd already been through in my life with coaching and, uh-huh. and you know just being a being a dad, being a teacher, and all those things that kind of helped ground me a little bit. And so now. It's it's there's still things I'm learning and you know I'm only in year three. This is this is really year one for me because the COVID year and then <laughs> that doesn't, start, even, that doesn't yeah. even count. And then the year after that, we were still getting out of COVID. You know, I didn't get to I didn't get to sit in in the in the gym here without a mask on until February of last year. Yeah, you know that was the first. Yeah, game. this time last year we were yeah. still wearing masks and everything. Right? Yeah, so we still had all those protocols. You know, we 
we didn't get to compete and we're getting ready to have a shootout this this Saturday. We didn't get to compete in it last year, our varsity team, because of COVID. <laughs> you know, so it, it's just this is finally coming back. It, I feel like we're finally in a place where everything feels normal. You know, no masks. Don't have to worry about cleaning all these things and social distancing all this all that much. And um, obviously, I don't, I don't think COVID's going away ever, but it, in my work world, it's kind of become normal. Right. Um, when, when you start, like you said, you kind of needed to get your foot in the door at Edinburgh. Um, I mean, Taylorville's a, a 4A school. Edinburgh, obviously a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you learn from that situation, just kind of, you know, dealing with a lot less kids, a lot less parents, a smaller athletic director or department? Mm-hmm. Um, how is that, like, the best way to probably get in for you, or how did that work out for you? For me, it was great because at Edinburgh, you know, I did everything. I had to do everything. You know, I'm not saying we didn't have good helpers there. We did, uh, but a lot of it was volunteer, and I'm not going to put things on volunteers that I know I can do myself. So, you know, we're getting ready for the gym, you know, getting the gym ready for games uh, as I'm getting ready to coach, playing the national anthem, leaving the bench, go play the national anthem, come back to the bench and coach. So, you know, we had a lot. Thankfully, I had a great superintendent and principal when I was there, and then Doug Bowser was our head coach, uh, so I got to learn a lot from him too. So we had, I had great people in my corner, but you know, there the resources are limited. So you just, it's like, if something needs done, you just do it. And I still try to do that to this day here, uh, even being at Taylorville, which is a bigger school and we do have more resources, but you know, if something needs done, I'll, I'll just go do it. I'm not, I, I don't need to pawn things off on other people. Right. So it kind of prepared me in that way. If you were to go to a, say a kindergarten career day and, and a kid asked you, hey, what does an athletic director do? How would you describe that? Because, I mean, you're not just a doctor. You're not just a police officer. You yeah. are, I mean, you're in charge of so much. How would you kind of describe that? It's kind of funny, actually, because there's even kids at the high school that ask me, you know, they see me every day at lunch duty or whatever, and they, they ask me, that. so what exactly do you do? And I just tell them, basically anything involved in sports at, the high, at this school, I, I have my hand in in some way or another. Uh, so, you know, everything from scheduling games to officials, to communicating with coaches. Uh, busing has been crazy lately because there's just a shortage everywhere you go. So we've had to be really uh, resourceful in terms of using the school vans and school buses that we have. Um, so just everything, literally everything that goes into an event happening at, at, high, at the high school in terms of sports, you know, I have a hand in it some way or another. Because you have to be here before the doors officially open mm-hmm. and you're the one that locks those doors. Um, so it's not just you're here for the game, you're sitting there watching the game and that's it. Um, not to mention concession workers and, you know, gatekeepers and all that stuff. Um, make sure that, you know, security or police officer, whatever it is, um, you got to do all that. And so not just for one sport, you're doing freshman, JV, varsity yeah. for all sports at all times. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you kind of go about understanding what what goes into every day like how do you feel like you're settled into that role where you know okay this is what i need to accomplish today and how long did that take for you yeah it, well it definitely took like i said well over a year because i i got to that first that first year i got i got hired in january but i didn't actually start till the summer but they let me come over here every friday and i got to work with paul until covid shut us down so i got to see the basketball and i kind of knew the basketball side of it anyways from coaching basketball baseball I wasn't worried about the one that really it was like, man, Friday night football game, home football game. Like there, you know, even even at Taylorville, whether we're you know whether we're rocking and rolling or or whether we're struggling, we're gonna have it's the main anywhere event. from eight hundred to twelve hundred people here. Yeah. You know, so you you got to get all those workers ready, and there's just so many things that you you didn't think of. And thankfully, I had Paul's number in my cell phone that mm-hmm. I could text him at any given time. Uh, and there's people that have obviously been around. For a while, and you know, Coach Odom's been here forever, so he knows he knows what needs to happen too. Uh, so having those people that had that experience really helped. But yeah, I would say honestly, this was my first real solid football season where I feel like I was finally ready and finally had a grasp on everything. What 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 would you say you enjoy about you know the day to day of being an athletic director? What's why like, why do you want to keep doing it, and why is it fun for you? For me, it's, you know, like I said, growing up here, I, I know almost all these kids in some way that come through the doors. 
we're, this is going to be my this senior senior group this year for basketball is the will be the last group I had actually coached. Um, but I've had, you know I, I know the parents, I know the families, and then all the coaches too that I've gotten really close with. I, I just I want to see success in Taylorville. That's that's the bottom line. Um, that that volleyball experience was just one of those steps this year where. You know, you get to see what this community does when there is success happening, and the community rallies, man. And it's and you see it in all the small towns that you work in. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's something that pulls at your heartstrings a little bit, especially when you're from here and you know how much it means to these people. So I want to keep doing it because, you know, like I said, I enjoy just seeing our basketball team win. You know, I know they've struggled this year, but winning that game the other day it was like you just felt a different air about everyone that that day because it's like kind of big monkey off the shoulders type thing and uh, a weight off the shoulders and so it was it's just I don't know it's something I've always wanted to do and having that passion and having that drive it just keeps me going because I want to I, I want to continue to build as much as we can here for you kind of mentioned the volleyball and you know for postseason runs and stuff like that I talked to not only a lot of the coaches but uh, ADs as well that side of things where once you once you win that game at Chatham that night the next two days are just insane because you're learning so much about what you have to do, what has to get yeah. done. That I mean, you can't learn that until you actually do it. Like oh. you don't understand that situation. You don't like, you know. Aaron Coons always talks about it at Williamsville. Like you don't understand how the trip to Northern goes for football until you actually do it. Yeah. Like which, where do we go when we get off the bus? Where locker room do we turn to? Where mm-hmm. do where do we eat lunch? Where can we eat? Like all this stuff. You have no idea about, and the coaches don't know. So, as an athletic director, they probably turn to you and are like, "Hey, what are we supposed to do?" And you're just like, "Okay." Yeah, I was. I mean, again, I talk about the people that I have in my corner. Uh, you know, Mr. Hutchinson has been. He was the AD here, then he was assistant principal. Now he's principal. He's seen it all, and he was around for the. You know, it, it was different in the '90s, of course, because of technology and all that. But he was here for the Allison Curtain and the the Lady Tornadoes run that they had. Um, to state so he kind of understood a little bit of that and then you know relying on Kim a little bit from the volleyball aspect side and Katie McCauley was a huge you know I, I got to, I met her and worked with her when I was at Edinburgh and she was at Lehigh so I just reached out to her and she was so she it was funny because she was so happy that we had won yeah. and she was happy for Kim and so she just sent me a list a couple days in a row just yeah. lists of hey make sure you do this <laughs> make sure you do this and so we finally got it knocked out, and um, it's just, like you said, it's thankfully the IHSA has a checklist for all these things that have to get done, and I don't think we forgot to do anything, but, you know, you hear those horror stories of people forgetting to do something, and then we just want to make sure the state experience was everything it could be for those girls and the team, and uh, I, I think it was, and they probably wish they would have played better and won, maybe won a couple games, but, you know, at the end of the day, Getting there for Taylorville was a huge step, and uh, hopefully, something the program continues to build on. Right, I mean, three A, and you look at not only three A. I'm sure you've seen it because everybody sees it, but it's like, how many public schools made it? How many private schools made it? And for Taylorville, just to make it, because you don't understand what it takes or how to do that until you actually do it. So this was a huge step toward. I mean, Kim's building. Kim's always building something great. Yeah. She's amazing, but. Well, you don't, and you last don't understand year, until you get there. You, you don't, know. you don't. And last year, you know, last year was like would have been the storybook ending because we were getting to host the, the super sectional here. Right. Had an unbelievable crowd, probably 13, 1,400 people in the gym, and I would say at least probably seventy five percent of those people were Taylorville people. And you hear all these people that were because they knew we were hosting, saying, well, "You know, we're going to be there. We haven't been to a game all year, but we're coming." And yeah. uh, obviously, fell short last year to. Uh, Normal West, who had uh, I'm, a, I'm drawing a blank on her name, but that girl that was an oh, absolute man. stud, yeah. she ended up going up to North uh, Northwestern. But then this year, you know, you go to Chatham, and it was still a great environment. It was like, you know, you look. I kept looking around before, just kind of taking it all in, and you see, I mean, there's like five of our head head coaches that went to that game yeah. that don't even have kids in the in the program, but yeah. they just wanted to be there to support Kim and support the team. Um, and it was a great atmosphere too. Like, you know. It, it's almost like that 3A atmosphere felt more like a state atmosphere than state did because right. you get to state, it's so much bigger. Yeah. The gym is so much bigger. It's hard to it's hard to get that energy going in a, in a stadium like that. Uh-huh. But, it, man, playing and knowing you're playing U High, who's, 
you know, got the Berry Girl who's a stud, and they're just, a, they're perennially, they're good every year, and it was one of the craziest matches of volleyball I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, we were down 24-17. We had no business, we had no business, it you know, over. Yeah. on the scoreboard, you know, yeah. if you're scoreboard watching, you're like, this game, there's no way. It's just, it's hard in rally scoring to, to come back from a deficit like that, and then they come back and tie it, and you're just like, holy cow. Yeah. Like, and then after you win that, you know, after you won set two, it was like they have to be so deflated. Mm-hmm. They being you high, and yeah. we're riding on cloud nine right now. So yeah. it was it was amazing. And then, like you said, those next few days, it, w- it was a lot of work, but it was it was awesome. It was fun to get to to get to put all that stuff together, and now kind of have a folder there. So maybe so hopefully yeah. in the next couple of years it happens again, and it'd be a little easier that that uh, moving forward. So in terms of the athletic director position. Um, I mean, all the coaches kind of have to go through you to get stuff, you know, whatever approved or whatever figured out. Who do you have to go to? Like, who do you have to answer to? Is it the school board? Is it the administration? Is it, like, how does that kind of chain of command work for you? Well, I, I try to do everything by the chain of command, you know. I, I run everything I do. I talk to Mr. Hutchinson more times during the day about things and you know, in my eyes, him and Mr. Keller are principal and assistant principal. Those are my superiors and you know, I have to make sure that what I'm doing is going to fly with them and that they're good with it. And then, obviously, if Mr. Hutchinson has to run anything up the chain even further, he'll go talk to the superintendent. Um, and then if we have to get things passed by the board, of course, we'll do that as well. Uh, but I try to, like I said, I try to be on the same page with Mr. Hutchinson as much as I can because he's also, you know, one of the things that I'm very blessed with is he's at almost every home game too. Right. Very rarely is there a home game going on. You'll see me and you're going to see him too. So having that backing from him is great, and he's the same way as me. You know, he wants to see these kids succeed, and he wants to see these coaches succeed. So uh, he's invested in it as well. But yeah, I, like I said, I just try to go up the, the, the normal chain of command, and you know, we don't, we're not doing anything crazy without getting approval. As you, as an AD, do you have um, like yearly or monthly meetings with your coaches, or how does that kind of relationship work? It's kind of yeah. We 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 meet at least once a year as a whole staff, just kind of a where we try to do it as a, and it's not really business. It's more just let's get together and um, and and it may not be all the coaches. You know, I, like I said, being from here and knowing I've known all these coaches for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, they they pop in the office multiple times a week, or I'll call them on the phone and talk to them on the phone. So having those monthly meetings isn't really that big of a deal to me in yeah. my eyes because I talk to them almost every day. Yeah. If they're in season, it's it's very it's very frequent that, or infrequent I should say that where a day goes and I don't talk to them. Uh, and so having them in the building is is great, and having them, you know, a couple of them over to junior high. But it you know, anytime I need to talk to him, just pick up the phone. And so it doesn't seem like those monthly meetings are really necessary in a district this size, especially when you can talk to them whenever you want. And I think, like you said, we talked earlier about, you know, the COVID situation is an outlier. Um, But during that time, we, I mean, the sports community not only learned about who every AD was, but who every school board member was, who every IHSA member was, just because those are the people that have to make the tough decisions. Yeah. you know, stuff like this happens, it's unfortunate, but then somebody has to make a decision. Somebody mm-hmm. has to be the face of saying, we're doing it this way, whether it's right or it's wrong, or you disagree with it or not. Um, so you, as an athletic director, you hope that your name never comes up or, or you're in the, in the news, quote unquote, for anything like that. But um, that is a part of the responsibility of being an AD and you got thrown into the fire right away. But uh, say, quote unquote, normal year, um, you're just kind of, hoping that everything runs smoothly. Mm-hmm. If we don't bring up your name, it's probably a good thing. Absolutely. And so having that pressure as an AD is something that, I mean, I, I'm sure you don't think about it every day, but at the same time, it's something that you have to deal with in terms of making decisions that maybe you wouldn't think about as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, that COVID that COVID year was probably, it was, it was awful to live through, but in terms of me and my career, it probably was great to go through that and experience those things. Uh, and it made you think about things outside of the box that you, you know we have a gym that can hold 2,000 people and we were trying to figure out how we could only let 50 people in for a game you know and, the, and it, it, it killed me because I, I knew a lot of those kids that were seniors and I knew a lot of their parents and and now we got to tell grandma and grandpa who have been at every game 
sorry you can't come. Uh, so I think in terms of the COVID year, it was a blessing because it, it made me have to make some tough decisions early on. And, and like I said, think outside the box. How can we, how can we do this the right way, but also um, doing it the right way where more people can be able to experience it. And, you know, thank goodness for Tommy TV back then because, and all these cameras that came around because it, or else we would have been in a lot more. It would, it would have been a lot harder to make those decisions, but knowing that every school we were playing at had some sort of a camera where they, they could set up a live stream, uh, it made it it made the process a lot more smooth. You talked about not only loving Taylorville as a community, but loving the school, loving the program. Um, that can be a great thing, but that can also be tough when you have to make tough decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like, like you said with you, not only do you have such great relationships with these coaches, which can be great, but at the same time, if you have to make a tough decision, that's hard. Um, but that's that's also another thing that kind of comes with a job that people maybe don't think about is, you know, if a coach says, hey, I'm resigning, or you're, you're, they're getting pressure from the school board or whoever, like, unfortunately, in this day and age, parents <laughs> have a major voice that they didn't have in the past. Um, how do you feel like you can deal with that situation in terms of, you know, pressure about a coach or something like that where... That's not something that normally comes about as, as an AD. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, it's one of those things that kind of comes with the job. And knowing that, knowing that deep down in my heart that whatever decisions that are being made, I'm doing it for the betterment of the school and the community. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a very unselfish person. I don't make decisions selfishly. And, uh, but I'm also someone that wants to make decisions with, with talking to all of the important people you know, before a decision is made, I don't want. I'm not one that's going to make a rash decision on my own and just run with it. Uh, so again, having that support system, you know, having the people on board here at the school, and then, but just knowing, knowing the coaches is is a. I think it's a big help. I couldn't imagine going somewhere and having to go in fresh and not knowing the coaches. Mm -hmm. I think it would be really tough. Uh, you know, you have to gain the respect of all these people. So a lot of these coaches that are older than me, yeah. you know. And, but I'm asking them to give me their respect because I think I respect them and I know I respect them. So it, it, I think that was what helps our relationship groove a little better. The other side of that conversation about, you know, being the athletic director at Taylorville is, I mean, this gym is widely considered one of the best in the, in the state, probably in Midwest. Um, in terms of that history, um, and you can tell that the passion is there from the community about how happy they, how proud they are of that. Um, so to get to come in here every night and sit in this gym is something that's probably a perk of the job that you maybe don't take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that like you know, walking in here, the first game it was it's kind of surreal because you know you look you you want to see that gym as full as you can, but it happened to be during COVID where you can only have fifty people in and. Um, so that that part of it, but then you get these games like that super sectional volleyball game last year, where you see the crowded gym. You know, you see everyone from the mayor to past players to alumni in the stands, and it it just kind of gives you goosebumps because you know they're all coming to Taylorville for one reason, and they're coming to watch a Taylorville team. And then the fact that it was a volleyball game too is even is even wilder because. You know, volleyball is not really the sport that gets a whole lot of the publicity as, you know, your football, basketball, and other sports like that. But um, watching those girls, it, it, I think it kind of it did. It brought the community together, you know, in a positive light. So anytime we get anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people in that gym, especially with the student section, it's, it gives us an advantage. And uh, props to Normal West for winning that game because they had to deal with that mm -hmm. that night. And, you know, we had probably that whole side was filled with purple rain that night. So um, they definitely showed out, and it it was a it was a really cool experience. And that was probably the one game where you kind of look back, and here I am worried about everything working correctly. We had scoreboard that wasn't working leading up to that game, and um, but then once it's once it's rolling, and you kind of sit there and you look back, and just like wow, that was that was really neat to get to experience and. Uh, to know you had a little bit of a hand in it, it, it makes it even better. And you know, when I worked for the Breeze and was here with um, when McVickers had a great team, and mm -hmm. you know, you get Peyton Allen and Larry Austin coming into this gym, and 
not only is the student section great, but I mean, there's just basketball fans in general from this area. They're going to come see that because, like you talk about the Allison Curtin days, those are days that like little kids will always remember mm-hmm. seeing Peyton Allen play in here or yeah. seeing Larry Austin or Xavier Bishop. I mean, shoot, seven years ago now, that Lanphier Southeast sectional championship uh-huh. game, how many people do you think were in the gym that night? Like, this place is just. When you have events like that here, it's it makes it a little bit more special. It does, and I, that was actually that just popped in my mind before you said it. That that sectional championship game, here you got two teams driving thirty miles le- or less, and I mean we had to we eventually had, I think they eventually had to shut the door. Right. You know, it was just we were at capacity, and uh, the governor was here that night. Yeah. Uh, so just yeah, I mean, you said it. There's people that are basketball junkies that want to come to games like that. And being in a place like like here or the Bowl, it makes it all that much more memorable. And that that night was it was crazy. I mean, it was and it was a great basketball game. So that coupled with that environment, just icing on the cake. There's athletic directors that have to deal with a lot of different things. Um, when you talk about the support that you get, not only from this community, but you talk about Mayor Barry and his family, and just. Um, you saw it when, when people asked about the turf to, to get that sort of facility here and now it's coming up with you know hopefully something even more vast and, and great that's going to serve not only the athletic department but just the whole community in general mm-hmm. uh, it's got to make your job a little bit easier when you have those people behind you like Mayberry like the, the fundraising people here mm-hmm. in this town who I mean I talk about all the time with like Lee Matier this is a blue collar community it's mm-hmm. not like there's millionaires Correct. Billionaires in this town that are just say, "Hey, go build it." Yeah. These people work hard for this money, and when they want to put that back into this, it's got to make you feel just awesome to be in that position. It does, and that uh, and you hit on it a little bit there. You know, our sports boosters are phenomenal too, which is, you know, thinking back to how am I going to come up with twenty five hundred dollars so I can fi- so I can get these girls to ride. In quote unquote luxury to the state right. tournament, you know, not have to be on a school bus for something that they remember to, forever. Exactly, and and the sports boosters, you know, they just they cut a check for us for that, and you know, little things like that that you do take for granted in the moment. Once you look back on it, you really realize how special it was, and uh, and that yeah, I mean, if we can get this built, this auditorium, this field house, it, it's going to do amazing things for the community and something that like you said it's going to have a lasting impact on multiple generations to come and the cool thing is is you look through you know when we've been going through this whole process and look at all of our head coaches almost all of our head coaches have kids that are getting ready to come through the doors of Taylorville High School or are already here Um, so it and that's why it means a little bit more too I think because we have you know you have these coaches that are invested in the program but they're also invested in the entire athletic department because they know their kids are coming through. And they may not, you know, Jeb, Jeb's got a daughter. You know, she's not going to play football, but right. she dances. And, you know, she does track. And that those things are important to him, too, as well as their whole family. So right. it kind of – Boys yeah, and girls. Exactly. I mean, Coach Brown's got boys and girls. Boys, the yeah, all yeah they, they've, they've all got these different athletes that, that are going to do different things in the world of athletics and maybe not just the sport that their dad coaches or mom coaches. So when you see them, when you think about it like that, it's like, yeah, it, it is pretty crazy because we're, we're trying for something here that's going to, like I said, have a lasting effect on the community for the next, I don't know, 50 to 100 years mm-hmm. uh, and something that we can be really proud of for being able to afford it as a district and then being able to improve our athletic program. What is the status of that currently? Because I, I've just heard you know certain things, certain bits and pieces. So what exactly are you guys trying to do, and how close are you to getting that? We're, I think we're really close. Our, uh, like I said, our district has been very smart financially over the past however many years to put us to even have a position to be able to do this. Um, and what they're looking at doing is uh, roughly 450 to 500 seat auditorium, and then a three court field house with a a new weight room, a wrestling room, which we've never had, <laughs> and a walking track. Um, so talking about, you know, that that was probably the one part that was going to be the most impactful. You know, we've got 60 kids in our youth wrestling program, my son being one of them, and they have to go share a, a room over at 
North School with our uh, you know with our junior high and high school programs and so for our wrestling program to have a home and have a space that is just for them it'd be be out of this world and then having a weight room that isn't underneath the purple rain section of the bleachers um, you know because having Coach Matier in there is, is a is a great thing he's a great tool to have and if he can have but imagine the, if he has if the right he tools has to work the, yeah if he's got the space and. Because I know he's got all these ideas, and uh, so it, it would just be—it would be amazing. It would just be unbelievable for our whole community. It really would. The aspect of being an athletic director—you're at, at certain games. I mean, I know here you have guys like Ed Nelson who are going to be here every single night doing the same thing. You know, you talk about the book, and so I think that's how we can kind of lead into the conversation about a shot clock. Um, being an AD, you have to make sure. How many different people every night show up at the right time to do the right thing? Um, and that's probably just something that you're used to now, but that's something a lot of people just take for granted when um, you talk about how much stuff actually goes into a single game, even if it's a freshman girls game. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that there's how many people here, and that's something that you have to deal with every single week. Yeah, the, the you know, again talking about, and every school's got them, every school's got these people that they can just count on. Um, and you kind of alluded to that. Ed Nelson is going to be here announcing. Jeff Hill is going to be here running the scorebook. Jerry Held is going to be here running the clock. And then uh, we're going to have a variation of five to six different ladies that do the tickets at the door. And then the concession stand, the boosters are going to be here to open the concession stand. It's just, it is, it is almost something that you could take for granted. But there's so much communicating that goes on behind the scenes that to make sure everyone's aware of what day they're supposed to be here and all that. So... But I know they're going to be here. That's the thing. I don't. I don't have to call and remind them. I don't have to worry about them not coming through the door prior to the game. And it does. It does make life so much easier because not only are they here to do the job that they're supposed to do, but you know, a guy like Jeff Hill is going to be here and do the job times ten. He's going to right. do many other things. And that's and, something that if they don't or they mess up one time, yeah, that's the time that everyone remembers. And it's like these people do this every five, night, five, six times a week yeah. for how many weeks? Yeah. Like. Yeah, I mean, and you really look back, like, you, after the, the Christmas tournament is such a grind for the people that work it, and you know, because you're chasing them all over the state, but going, you know, you just, you're in the gym for, you're in the gym for 12, 14 hours a day, yeah. you know, we're here at 7 a.m., and you're leaving at, at 11.30, and wake up and do it all over again the next day, but it's because, you know, and you do it because you do enjoy those moments where those kids get to be out there playing, and we get to host something in Taylorville. So not only are they here at the school playing, they're probably going to eat somewhere in town and spending money locally or going to Walmart to, to buy whatever they may need. So that's important to me also and one of those reasons why I still love this tournament. And and it's usually really good basketball too, so it makes it even better um, to get to watch 20 games and you know most of those games are going to be pretty good games. So again, you, you, you can only... You can only do things like that based on the the help you have, and the help I have is uh, is out of this world. So when the IHSA says, "Hey, we're going to experiment with this," um, I want to go through the whole process. How did it start for you guys? Do you have to get the approval from the board, or what? How did you kind of go about doing it to get the shot clock at your? So they they had talked about. They told us I can't remember the exact day, but they had told everyone that. For shootouts and tournaments, you could do it on an experimental basis this year. And um, so I went ahead and I talked to uh, our director of finance and I said, kind of told her how much they were going to be for the shot clocks. I said, this is coming. Um, I think it would be smart to just go ahead and do it early mm-hmm. and get them ordered. Yeah. That way that we at least have them in case they do have run, they run low on supplies, uh, as has been an issue with many things. And then Coach Brown sent out a message to all of the coaches in the tournament back in, I want to say September, and said and just asked them, you know, would you want to do this at our tournament? And they were all on board because even you know, kind of like he said, if one of the coaches would have said no, we would have scrapped it because right. we wanted everyone to be on board with it. Um, so then we had to do a in middle of October we had to apply to the IHSA for our tournament to be able to be. And at that time, of, did you already have them purchased? Like you knew. Okay, purchased, we, we yes, but, yeah, yeah. So we yeah. had them purchased, um, but they weren't set. They weren't set to be delivered okay. until December fourteenth. <laughs> so 
in my mind, knowing the way things have been going yeah. with shipping, I didn't think it was going to happen. And around Christmas time. And around Christmas time. So, uh, so we get approved and then um, kept talking with uh, the rep at Nevco asking, you know, are they still set to be delivered? And she assured me they were. They shipped out on the 14th and I think we had them the 16th. And then, um, you know, it was going to be tough to get someone to put them up in that amount of time because of, you know, you have to run wires to get, to get electricity up there. And, and then right around that same time, we have, we have pipes burst at North School Gym. So now, you know, our maintenance staff is just tied up into that. Um, so I didn't want to put extra load on their plate and also trying to close off the East Gym so they can do the asbestos removal over there. So there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts and it worked out that um, Taylor May, who works with Star Electric here in town, who owns Star Electric here in town, I should say, him and his father-in-law who used to own it, they came in two days, before, one day before Christmas, one day after Christmas, and um, you know, we had them, they were up and ready to go December 26th for the tournament starting December 27th, and then uh, had everything wired up and everything was good, so we, you know, it was a green light in our opinion. Yeah. When you originally get the idea, or say, say okay, we, I need to start researching this, um, how does that process start? Do you just... You know, type Google, hey, where can I get a shot clock? And well, I knew, I knew I wanted to use Nevco because that's what our scoreboards are in there. Okay. So I just knew it would be so much more fluid if we had the same, the same company for the same scoreboards. Uh, so I reached out to Nevco, got the quote, and then once I got the quote, ran it by our finance director, and she said she gave me the okay to do it. And then um, the, the approval process, you know, then, then the, really the, the toughest part was going to be finding three or four people that I thought were, that knew the game enough that could run it. Uh-huh. Um, immediately, three or four names popped in my head. Um, Johnny Yard, Paul Held, Style Smith, and Steve Dorchinez. Right. And those are all guys that have either coached or been AD or officiated or all three. And so it ended up Style Smith and Paul Held were the ones that, that worked every game of the tournament and, in my opinion, did a fantastic job. And when, okay, first, I, I want to talk about that, but first I want to talk about, you know, you get them here, what, what was the process of saying, okay, how do we put them up or where do we put them up? Because, I mean, obviously they're electrical, so you, did you just say, hey, you reach out to an electric company and say, hey, do you know how to do this or can you help us figure this yeah, out? Yeah, my original thought was I wanted, I wanted it to be someone who'd done it before. Mm-hmm. So Nevco sent me a list of people that they had that had installed them, okay. and there was one local company, and I reached out, and unfortunately, they weren't able to do it. it you know, just swamped over yeah. right before holidays, and I understood that. And then we were fortunate enough that Taylor and um, Rich Payne were able to come in here, and they have a scissor lift too, which makes it all that much more <laughs> easy, uh, or easier, I should say. And they, so they were able to get them hung, and. You know, we kind of knew where we wanted them on backboards, and, and then of course that changed because there was a pole that would have been in the way for one of the coaching uh, from one of the benches. So, where but we ended up hanging them on uh, offset on the top of the backboard, and we were able to get power to them, and we had and we were able to run 20 games with them and never had a, never had a problem. So, so far so good. You've talked about it throughout this conversation, but um, the support that you have and just the kind of understanding, not only from Hutch but like. Those people, um, as a as a school the size that you are, and like you said, all that stuff is great. Do you see this being something that can be implemented in every single high school in Illinois? Um, being where I, you know, knowing the the one A two A landscape of of Central Illinois because I coached in it for so long with Edinburgh, and um, it's going to be really hard on some of those schools because I know how, what their what smaller schools' budgets are. And it is a lot of money for to, for them to have to dump into something like this, and then you know finding someone, you know I was able to rattle off four or five people right away that I knew would be willing to help and were competent enough to do willing it. and trustworthy. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I think it'll be tough on some of these smaller schools, you know, that where maybe basketball is not a top priority. You know, there are schools in the area that we know, you know, your one A schools. Um, like, you know, the Waverly Holiday Tournament, it's a big deal in Waverly and the surrounding communities. I have no, I have no doubt they would be able to do it. 
but some of these smaller schools where maybe basketball isn't on the top item list, I don't know, and it, it'd be really tough. I, I hope it is because I think it's just taking the game in another level in, into another uh, phase that we haven't really seen around here. Mm-hmm. But I also know there'll be some, you know, there'll be some pushback. There's probably going to be some teams that don't like it, and we were just trying, you know, like I said, we were just we were in a position where we could order them. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and do it and have them. That way, we don't have to try to try to race with everyone else once it does be, be implemented, if it ever does then, you know, we've already got them, we're ready to go. Right, and we've both been in plenty of gyms where um, the scoreboard doesn't always work. And mm-hmm. so this is just another thing that mm-hmm. can go wrong in a situation where everyone in the gym is just going to get mad if it goes wrong in that situation. So how do you think that that can be dealt with in terms of, yes, the, the Glenwoods, the Taylorvilles, those programs can handle that, but there's schools around here that aren't big enough to, you know, yeah have not only those resources, but also the people to run it and the people to run it right or to fix it if something goes wrong. Exactly. Yeah, that, that might be the biggest issue is, you know, making sure they're hung correctly and installed correctly and running correctly. But, you know, the every you, you know how it goes to every all these small schools, they all they all have their own way of fi- of making things work, you mm-hmm. know. The same things that we're dealing with at a bigger school, they're dealing with the same type of basketball game on a Friday night or a football game on a Friday night, and they have to have just as many volunteers, and you just find a way to make it work. And I hope it's something that doesn't put too much stress on these schools because I would like it to be ran and I would like it to be done and done correctly. But at the same time, like I said, I I think they'll find a way to get it done. You don't have to tell me the exact number, but can you tell me in relation um, what you think that's going to cost an athletic department like per season compared to you know running the running the book running the clock um, is it just kind of the same sort of expense yeah like for us we you know we pay our, our book and our clock guy and we're going to pay the shot clock guy the exact same amount okay. um, because I don't feel any of those and it's, it's also in our contract too it's in our teacher contract for paying game workers and things like that so we're not doing anything outside of our bounds these are these are things that that our district has been prepared for that they know you have to have certain people running scoreboard score scorebook whatever it may be in order to have a game go and you know it's really hard to get people to do things for free and especially when you're devoting so much time so having that having that in there to where they will help pay for that is is a big is a big plus you said everything went smoothly with with the shot clock during this holiday tournament and and I haven't heard anything but great things about all the ones that that um, we've seen or that have that have gone on throughout this year. Um, do you think that this is something that the IHSA is going to have within the next couple of years at every basketball game? I don't know about every basketball game, but I could definitely see it for varsity. Um, for the mere fact that, like I said, you know, having a JV game and having to have one extra person there to to run it, uh, it might be tough. But for a varsity game where people are geared up and they 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 understand that it takes a lot of people to, to get a game to run smoothly, I would say I would be shocked if it, I, ha, I have no inside information or anything like that. I would be shocked if it's not implemented within the next two or three years, um, mainly because I, I have yet to hear any, any negative feedback on it. And I think that's why they wanted to do the, the trial phase this right. year. You know, you're still going to see more shootouts that are doing it. You're going to see more tournaments that are doing it. And there were quite a few during Christmas time that were doing it. And we really wanted to do it because we weren't sure how many schools in the central to southern part of Illinois were really going to do it. So we wanted to at least have some schools in this area have a feel for it so they could give their own feedback as well. And it wasn't all coming from, you know, the suburb schools or the city schools of Chicago. So I think that was a big reason personally for me for wanting to do it and then uh, and now that it went smoothly it you know it was a little nerve-wracking prior to the tournament because it is a tournament that we feel that we host really well and we didn't want something to to put a black eye on that so but I I do I I do think it's coming um, in the next two or three years but that's just my personal opinion I spoke to a lot of different people over the last week in terms of basketball tournaments and a lot of officials, a lot of referees, and you know it just as well as I do that in the next five to ten years, 
it's going to be a major issue in terms of referee storage. Um, so to add another position during a basketball game that's paid or that has that people have to show up and do things the right way, um, do you see that being an issue with with the shot clock and how that will? I if if you'd asked me this last week before the tournament, I've said yes. Uh, but then once you read the rules that the IHSA has adopted for this trial period, uh, for it's it's very cut and dry, and it's not a lot of you know in the college and NBA game. Uh, if certain things happen, it doesn't reset back to 35. It may set to 20 or 24 or whatever it may be. Um, so the way they did it, where basically the only way it was going to reset to 20 was a kick ball under 20, and, and that doesn't happen very often. So in my eyes, none of these games this weekend were the outcome did, wouldn't, didn't change because of the shot clock. Uh-huh. You know, you had eight teams in our tournament. All eight teams want to play fast, anyways. So maybe a couple times, you know, you get a, you run through a play that doesn't work, and now all of a sudden you're down ten seconds. Maybe they rushed a shot, but for the most part, I would say, you know, these games went the way, the speed they did, because that's just how those teams want to play. And do you see it as an issue just because of, you know, in ten years? a lot of the referees are going to be retired. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be looking for referees because nobody wants to do that job. Is a shot clock job something that maybe people will be more interested in just because it's not as taxing as, as a referee? I, I think so. I mean, like I said, we had, you had two guys running it, one of which, you know, Paul has been an official, been an AD, been a coach, and he, he didn't have anything bad to say about it. It was smooth and easy to do. And... Um, like I said, if you would have came to any of our games, you might not have even noticed they were there because of the way the speed of the way the game was being played. So I do think that that might be something that you know a retired official might say they want to do instead of officiating. Mm-hmm. But I guess at the end of the day, that doesn't really solve the official shortage problem. <laughs> no, um, I I know that I'm in I'm in the minority here, and uh, it's fine. I had a very in-depth conversation with our good friend JY the other day about the about the shot clock and just how I don't think the high school varsity level in this area is ready for that. I don't think that I don't think that the quality of shots are going to be made better because of this. Um, and I realize I'm in the minority. What what is your take on it, and why do you think that it's it's a good thing that's going to be implemented down the line? To be honest with you, even before. I may have shifted a little bit more towards in favor of them since our tournament went off, but I've never been a pro or a con high on one side. Um, I kind of, I'm kind of in agreement with you that there are, there are, you are going to see some bad shots because I see a lot of bad basketball. Yeah, I see a lot of good basketball, but I see a lot of bad basketball. And there's going to be, and there's going to be more bad shots because of it. But knowing that, knowing the way the game is going, and knowing how these teams, most of the teams want to play fast. I don't, most teams are getting a shot up before 35 seconds anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, they're running a set play and it may, it may just be you have to rely more on some, some good set plays or, you know, if, if you want to run and gun, you better run and gun and get a good one. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, I don't, again, we're trying to, our, our purpose for doing it is we wanted to try to be ahead of it, of, of it in, in case it does come into to effect next year or the year after. Right. I realize I'm fighting a losing battle by saying it's right, going to happen. Right. It's and going to happen. It's going to happen. I, yeah. But, but I, don't, I, I don't think you're wrong either. I, I definitely could see what you're saying where bad shots will come into play. I just, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic that it won't be as many as what people think. Mm-hmm. And it, it also makes me so mad too that, I mean, I'll put up a highlight of, of, of a great Lincoln game or a great New Berlin game and people are like, oh my God, we need the shot clock because they only scored 30 points. It's like... If you actually watched that game and saw how hard the Lincoln kids play defense or how hard the New Berlin kids play defense mm-hmm. and just the strategy that goes into not only them playing defense but them getting a good shot, whether mm-hmm. that takes them 45 seconds or that takes them 90 seconds. Right. It, it's all planned in Neil's head, in Blake's head, yep. to where that's how they think that they can have the best chance to win that game. Absolutely. So for people to say, hey, you know, the shot clock's going to mess up Lincoln, it's like, you clearly do not understand how Neil works. Like, they will get their shots, and they can shoot the ball just fine. Well, we actually <laughs> – so I went with our, some of our coaches up to Champaign last year to the state tournament, and there was a double overtime game that finished in the 30s at the state tournament. Yeah. 
and there were there were people in the stands around us that were complaining about the style of play and that was probably out us from Taylorville that was probably our favorite game because of what you just mentioned you you saw how hard they were guarding and how hard they were um, trying to get the best possible shot and they, they were passing up good shots for great shots right. so I, I understand that and those are those are the coaches I worry about you know the, the schools like Lincoln and New Berlin and I hope it doesn't affect them too because we know Lincoln and New Berlin are gonna be good basketball programs year in and year out um, and I hope it doesn't affect them to the point where they have to completely scrap and do something else like you said though you get a coach like Neil Alexander He's gonna find a way to win games, right? Um, so I won the most for a reason. Exactly, and so I think he's. I, I feel he would be able to adapt, um, and I'm sure it all comes back. You know, I bet I'm. I'm sure they had the same conversations when they put the three point line in. You mm-hmm. know, and and maybe when the 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 charge circle comes in <laughs> underneath the basket, which a lot of people have already oh, said yeah. they want. But so there's always gonna be different different variations to the game that come along that people have to adapt to and uh, I, I don't think this is going to be one of those that's going to affect a whole lot of games but like you just mentioned there are some schools that will have to take a step back and maybe change a little bit of what they're doing. Well the game has changed so much just even since we've been in high school out of high school um, where Steph Curry, Dame Willard, those guys have changed the way kids walk into a gym and practice yep. or think that they can just make 40-foot shots, and it's like, I don't think you understand how long it took Steph Curry to get to that level. Correct. I don't think you know, people understand how much Lincoln practices shooting the ball. Correct. Like, there's probably people shooting in that back gym 24 hours a day. Yep. Like, the Frobies have, probably have a key to the back gym. I'm sure they do. And, and so it's like, I think that the shot clock is only going to show not only how many people put in the time to make, mm-hmm. to make sure that they're a good shooter, but this is just going to display that, because, so, like you said, coaches are going to make sure to get the plays to where eventually this is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It's just that, to me, basketball at the high school level hasn't caught up with watching Steph Curry, and everyone thinks that they're Steph Curry. Correct, correct. There's definitely going, yeah, there will definitely be growing pains to that, and there may be some coaches that don't prepare as much as they should have, or don't realize how much they need to prepare for a game where a shot clock's being utilized. But uh, I, like I said, I, I think the vast majority of the coaches, especially the ones that I know in the area, they're going to be ready. They're going to be prepared. But you just hope that the shot clock doesn't affect a program as a whole. Um, what's an issue that now that you have one and you've ran it, What's an issue that isn't talked about in terms of the shot clock? Whether I feel like we've hit it on pretty much every angle. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that um, that you think of or that you see could be an issue or could be a benefit that we haven't talked about? There's, you know, I, and you know, having 20 games played in two and a half days, something if something was going to go wrong, it was going to go wrong. Right. And you know, those scoreboards were on more than they were off <laughs> through the throughout the course of uh, last week, so. They, they made it through all that without any issues. Um, the shot clocks never malfunctioned, you know. Uh, the horns were all in sync the way they were supposed to be. So as far as an operational standpoint, I don't see any issues that I couldn't think of right now. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, 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 it may come into play more. Since, we were, since these teams were playing so fast, maybe you didn't notice it as much, or maybe there could have been times where it would have came into effect. Um, I guess maybe we'd need to get a get a uh, Lincoln New Berlin or a Chatham Lincoln game scheduled here so we could see how it would work uh, you know then you're because then you're going to be paying attention to it a lot closer when kids are putting shots up with 12 to 15 seconds left on the, on the shot clock you don't really notice it but maybe if you get someone running three or four sets through like Lincoln can do and they you know all of a sudden now you're down to five seconds left maybe then people start paying more attention to the shot clock but in my opinion it was kind of just in the back in the background for most of the tournament. Uh, I would say maybe we had 10 to 12 shot clock violations total um, through 20 games, so that's really not a lot at all. And they weren't at times, it wasn't like it was happening in the fourth quarter with 35 seconds left. So I I guess the sample size is just so small right now to understand how it may affect um, that we haven't already hit on, but I'm just, like I said, I'm I'm hopeful that it's something that when it does come through, uh, everyone kind of takes it and runs with it, so 
it is still good basketball, and you're not watching, you know, you're not having your fear of watching bad basketball because of it. Right, and I think to your point, like you said everybody was concerned about the three-point line when that came into effect, and you know the old heads of pure basketball said, "Hey, Wilt scored how many without the three-point line?" Like mm-hmm. it is what it is, and this is just the way that I mean basketball is going, and the way that the, the sport progresses. That's correct. Right, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for sure, I think that's just that is what it is. Um, I think that's all, all the questions I have for you. Perfect. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks to Hadley for his time and the great conversation. Yeah, we did go a little long there. I'm sorry, but that's what happens when you sit down and chat with a good friend who you don't always get to talk too much during the busy seasons. Thanks for listening. A reminder, we still don't have a sponsor for this podcast. If you're interested, please reach out. It's been a while since we've had one. Therefore, let's make a deal. Next week, we will have our last installment of Six Minutes with Sauce. Nick Broker announces that he will not be attending Ole Miss for his final year of eligibility. He was a senior this year, but he had one more year of eligibility if he really wanted to. He's entered his name into the NFL draft. He announced that on Wednesday. We will talk with him next week about the NFL Combine and what's going on with him. And we will start to talk about my birthday trip to Florida to cover SHG basketball. Thank you for listening and still being here. I'll see you next week.